Chapter 29, Simplicity, by Samuel Alexander, from Melbourne Sustainable Society Institute, University of Melbourne, and Simplicity Institute. In broad terms, voluntary simplicity can be understood to imply a way of life that involves consciously minimizing wasteful and resource-intensive consumption. But it is also about reimagining the good life by directing progressively more time and energy toward pursuing non-materialistic sources of satisfaction and meaning. In other words, voluntary simplicity involves embracing a minimally sufficient material standard of living in exchange for more time and freedom to pursue other life goals, such as community or social engagements, more time with family, artistic or intellectual projects, home-based production, more fulfilling employment, political participation, spiritual exploration, relaxation, pleasure-seeking, and so on, none of which need to rely on money or much money. Variously defended by its advocates on personal, social, political, humanitarian, and ecological grounds, Voluntary simplicity is based on the assumption that human beings can live meaningful, free, happy, and infinitely diverse lives, while consuming no more than an equitable share of nature. A social philosopher named Richard Gregg coined the term voluntary simplicity in 1936, although obviously the way of life to which he referred is as old as civilization itself. Throughout history, there have always been individuals and communities who have expressed doubts about the merits of living a materialistic life focused on material wealth and possessions. A history of simplicity could begin with Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, who at the age of 29 gave up what he considered to be the superficial luxuries of a royal existence and sought spiritual truth in a life of extreme ascetism. After nearly starving himself to death through his practice of self-deprivation, Siddhartha reconsidered his path, and after years of inner struggle, inner struggle, he is said to have found enlightenment in what Buddhists call the middle way, a path of meditative self-discipline that lies between the paths of worldly indulgence and asceticism. A similar message about the spiritual value of living a materially simple life can be found in almost all of the world's religious and spiritual texts, if not always in their practices, as well as many of the world's indigenous wisdom traditions. Simplicity of living also found many advocates among the great philosophers of ancient Greece and Rome, the Cynics and the Stoics in particular. In one of the most radical expressions of simplicity, Diogenes the Cynic voluntarily embraced a life of poverty to show by example that a free and meaningful life cannot be measured by conventional accounts of wealth. Less extreme were the Stoics, such as Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, and Seneca, who advocated disciplined and thoughtful moderation rather than poverty. 
In various ways, the Stoics argued that people cannot always be in control of how much worldly wealth and fame they attain, but they are or can be in control of the attitudes they adopt in relation to such things. Similarly, the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu once said, He who knows he has enough is rich, suggesting also that they who, gave, who have enough but who do not know it are poor. Leaping forward to the Victorian era in England, one finds passionate support from simple living in the works of the great moralists, John Ruskin and William Morris. Ruskin refused to treat money as a neutral meeting place of mere exchange and instead highlighted the ways in which the obscuring distance of, of a money economy pushed the social and environmental consequences of consumption out of sight. Ruskin argued, urged people to recognize that material things are worthwhile only to the extent that they further some worthwhile end. Perspective encapsulated in his maxim, there is no wealth but life. William Morris developed this line of thought in important ways, drawing particular attention to how consumption is always dependent upon labor. Morris suggested that huge reductions in useless toil could be achieved if people would reduce their consumption of those articles of folly and luxury. The Bohemians in Europe, on the other hand, tended to live simple lives for the sake of their art and for pleasure. Quite different again are the Amish, the Trappist monks, and the Quakers, who exemplify varieties of simple life grounded upon religious belief. In the 20th century, towering figures such as Gandhi, Lenin, Tolstoy, and Mother Teresa all lived lives of great material simplicity. Given that the U.S. is the birthplace of hyper-consumerism, it might surprise some people to discover that in fact the U.S. has always had an undercurrent of plain living and high thinking. In the mid-19th century, there were the fascinating versions of the simple life articulated by the New England Transcendentalists. This was a colorful group of poets, mystics, social reformers and philosophers, including Henry Thoreau, who lived, lived on modest means in order to afford the luxury of creativity and contemplation. contemplation. As leading transcendentalists, Ralph Waldo Emerson once asserted, it is better to go without than to have possessions at too great a cost. Other early Americans highlighted the tension between profiteering and civic virtue and insisted on the close connection between simple living and the flourishing democracy. There were also the warnings of Benjamin Franklin, who railed against consumers thoughtlessly going into debt. What madness must it be to run into debt for these superfluities? Think of what you do when you turn in debt. You give another power over your liberty. Preserve your freedom and maintain your independence. Be frugal and free, as said by Benjamin Franklin in 1870. In more recent decades, U.S. President Carter advocates, advocated material restraint on the ground that owning things and consuming things 
does not satisfy our longing for meaning. Referring to a crisis of spirit, he felt that the worship of self-indulgence and consumption was based on a mistaken idea of freedom. What could be called the modern simplicity movement is typically traced back to the North American and European countercultures in the 1960s and 1970s, for these movements had deep anti-consumerist and environmentalist sentiments that generally supported simple living. This was especially so with respect to the so-called Back to the Landers movement of that era, exemplified by the inspired lives of Helen and Scott Nearing and echoed in contemporary neo-rurals. More recently, the transition town, permaculture and eco-village movements also advocate moving away from consumerist lifestyles towards less consumptive, less less energy-intensive ways of living. See eco-communities. These movements are trying to build the alternative society by living the solution, even if presently their impact is modest. There have also been more focused theories of simplicity, advocating a sufficient economy, or the simple way. These theories variously argue for a restructuring of society with the aim of creating low-energy, highly localized, steady-state economies based on a politicized culture of simple living, see depolitization. It is certainly the case that a simple living movement without a politics would be insufficient to change political and macroeconomic structures. Simple living movements must not seek to escape the system, but radically transform it. The purely macroeconomic perspective on degrowth as a process of planned contraction fails to highlight the cultural values and practices that must accompany and perhaps precede the degrowth transition. After all, if a culture is generally comprised of individuals seeking ever higher levels of income and consumption, it follows that such a culture would desire and indeed require a growth economy in order for an economics and politics of degrowth to emerge. Therefore, it would, be, it would seem that people at the cultural level must be prepared to give up or resist high-consumption affluent lifestyles and instead embrace simpler lifestyles of reduced or restrained consumption. Ideally, this would be a voluntary transition, a planned economic contraction. But it may end up being a transition imposed on people by way of recession or even collapse. There is some ground for optimism that throughout history, from east to west, people have simplified their lives to engage in a variety of enriching pursuits, including philosophy, religious devotion, artistic creation, hedonism, hedonism, revolutionary or democratic politics, humanitarian service, and ecological activism. At the same time, the values of voluntary simplicity have generally been dominated by more materialistic values. In the present age of gross ecological overshoot and economic instability, however, perhaps simplicity of living is at last a way of life whilst time has come. Degrowth surely depends on it.